How you doing, everyone? You all right? Looking forward to lunch. Has anyone seen some of the food in the kitchen already? There's Oriental and Asian and European, all sorts. Brilliant. Um, so if you're visiting us, my name's Paul. It's great to have you with us. And uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. And as I'll explain, basically Pentecost Sunday has an international multi cultural element to it, which is why we're kind of emphasizing this. But I'm just interested to see um, how many of us, our affinity would primarily be with another nation or people group. So if either your passport or citizenship is another nation, or your primary affinity is, okay, uh, can you just raise your hand like really high so we can see like really high? So I reckon, what do you reckon that is? It's a quarter, isn't it? I mean, over here, everyone's congregated over here. This is like, like it used to be the youth over here, but it's like, this is our multicultural. How good is that in rugby? That's something to celebrate. That's something to thank the Lord for, okay? And it's, it's not just something to celebrate because it brings colour. Incidentally, I'm English. It's like, what do you wear? What, what clothes do you wear? Bowler hat? I don't know. So I've gone multicolour. Okay, multicolour. Uh, rather than an England football shirt. Um, I was going to say something else then. Oh, I know. Um, the reason that is something to celebrate isn't just because it's great food. It's because this, it speaks to the world. The church, hallelujah, is the most diverse community on earth. Okay? So bog all this nonsense about, you know, we're constraining and non-inclusive and all of that. We are the most diverse community on earth. Okay? Anyone can associate, associate with people like them. It is only by God's grace and spirit that we can overcome differences and still get on. And we have our issues, don't we, in the church? But God's grace goes to work. So it will speak to a world in which division and polarization is massive. Okay? So hallelujah to that. I've come to realize that I think Pentecost Sunday is probably my favorite Sunday. I've only, only thought this this morning. Obviously, there are more important Sundays. I think Easter is more important. The Incarnation Christmas is probably more important. Oh, that's not a Sunday. But I think this is my favourite. And the reason is this. My expectation's just high. Because this is the coming of the Spirit. That's what happened at Pentecost. Somebody told me before I came up. I'm just going to share this again. Somebody came up, uh, told me, gave me a prophetic word before we came to rugby 15 years ago. They said, you're going to be like a cuckoo clock. And what they meant by that was this, you're going to have a message that you're going to keep wheeling out, and I'm doing it again this morning, and it's going to slightly annoy people at times, like a cuckoo clock is. Okay, this morning is my cuckoo clock message. You will be able, on that day, to level a lot of assessment of how I may or may not have led this church, okay? But let me tell you, one thing I don't think you will be able to accuse me of is not preaching about the Holy Spirit. Because I've tried to do that. Because we need the Spirit. Don't kid yourself that you don't. So you now need to be asking, firstly, do you agree with that? 
that you need the Spirit. And secondly, if, if the answer to that is yes, we need to think then, okay, so how do we have more of the Spirit then? Because it's no good going, I need more of the Spirit. Well, let's do something. And this morning I want to share, we can do something. So, let's have a look. What was this Pentecost? Maybe this is news to you. What was Pentecost? 50 days after Passover, after Easter, if you like, comes Pentecost. And this is what happened. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happened here? Wind and fire from heaven. Heaven invaded earth. We've just prayed. We, you should want that, by the way, because we've just prayed, our Father, who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is right on message in terms of Jesus' prayer. Heaven comes to earth in the form of a wind, fire that lands on followers of Jesus. And these followers of Jesus, it says, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, who's the Holy Spirit? The third person, we say, of God. How do you get Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Three persons, somehow distinct, and yet one God. I don't know. Like, we don't know. Like, we don't know, okay? You, you don't know. But we do. But we get that. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so God's, God himself fills these believers. If you are a believer this morning, you at least have the Spirit in you, I don't believe all of us, all the time, are filled with the Spirit. We'll come back to that. Okay? And we, but we can be. So God possesses them. Every part of them, he fills them. Well, so what? You've heard, haven't you, the phrase, you know, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. Well, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be kind of so supernatural and super spiritual that we're not earthed. But here's the point. This made a difference. This coming of the Spirit made a difference. Look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. You see, I'm going to try and argue there's a correlation between the Spirit coming, the resources of heaven being available, and this sort of community. As we read through this, what do you think of this sort of community? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. As we read this, let's firstly be asking, do we want to be part of this? And secondly, to what extent are we like this? Because we need an honest appraisal of what we're like. There is much good about us as a community of faith here, I believe. But there's more. (laughs) There's more for us. Let me read that verse again then. This is what prompted this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What's our assessment of that one? All the believers. You realize, let me just say as well, I am a lovely guy, okay? I'm not saying this to condemn us. I've just prayed before the service. Lord, make us thirsty. And if we came in not thirsty, let us leave thirsty. 
understanding there is more for us. I could read verse 30, 43 again, that one about many wonders and signs, but we'll move on because there's other stuff. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You do know we live in a, I'm going to say this in a minute, materialistic Western culture where it will war against that sort of spirit. Moving on. Thank you very much, Anthony. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Can I just be honest? That's not happening. Just saying. People are not being added to us, whether here or in the town or across the nation, daily. In fact, the church statistics say we are declining. Glory to God ain't going to happen. Was it Oscar Wilde? You know, news of my demise has been greatly over-exaggerated. Well, news of the church's demise will one day appear total foolishness. That's a good word right there. And the Lord added daily to their number, those who were being saved. Okay, so we have here a wonderful community, don't we? What a wonderful community that is. Thanks, Anthony. Look at the culture of this community. Leaving aside what they did, which is also important, but what was the culture out of which grew the activity? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's important we have the right culture. It's like our heart. It's important our heart is right because all sorts of things can happen out of our heart. What was their culture? They devoted themselves to life together. In this day and age, people devoting themselves to anything is rare. Commitment is rare. These people were devoted. There were signs and wonders. They were filled with awe. I read recently in one of the other chapters in Acts, it says, living in the fear of the Lord, the church increased in number. Living in the fear of the Lord, well, that doesn't sound very seeker-friendly. The church increased in number. They were filled with awe. Lord, send a holy fear among us that we just honour you as you are. I sometimes struggle when church leaders make pronouncements about, you know, governments or what the church should be doing in terms of, you know, all sorts of social issues. When actually, to my mind, actually our primary concern, to my mind, I think we need to get right with God and walk in the fear of the Lord. They were together. They had all things in common. This isn't a community divided or polarized. They weren't possessive. They had generosity. They sold whole properties and needs were met. Tremendous generosity. There was gladness. There was exuberant joy. They were optimistic. They praised God. They just felt good about the world. Whatever was going on, and let me tell you, stuff happened for this early church, didn't it? Persecution, people put in prison, flogging. And yet they praised God. They were optimistic nonetheless about the world and how they saw the world. Is that us? We have every reason. To be optimistic, I almost feel like I'd like to, you know, I'm not going to do it, but something in my spirit wants to pray in tongues that we would be more optimistic about the world. 
Go on then, I will pray in tongues. Go on. <laughs> that we would be more optimistic. Guys, God's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. He's still ruling. His spirit can still fill us. We can still walk above our circumstances and see transformation in those situations. This is a word to someone here this morning. You're a bit glum because of the circumstance. You're weighed down. In Jesus' name, we raise you up over the circumstances. We're going to see in a minute where Jesus is now. And I believe we can appropriate a lot of what, where Jesus is to our own situations. So they were optimistic. They live with simplicity of heart. They just kind of knew what they were about, what they should be about, that Jesus at the center was what mattered. And as a result of all of that, the favor of God was on them. It says elsewhere in Acts, you know, people esteemed them. That's, that's not the situation for the church at present. The church isn't esteemed. But a community like that, generous, giving, loving society, seeing the lost say, seeing lives transformed, free of the incumbents of this world will know favour in society. It was also a multicultural society. Look at this, Acts 2 again. When the Spirit came, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in our native languages? And so the gospel, it's clear, this was a prophetic symbol. It didn't quite happen straight away. They didn't get that they were to go to the nations. God had to stir them up a bit with persecution. But basically, this is a prophetic symbol that the gospel is for all nations. I thank God for some of you folks from other nations coming back to the country that, if you like, took the gospel to the world because we need it and you have stuff in some of your cultures hospitality community prayer that we need so I thank God for you we're not there yet as a church as a church we still need to reflect in terms of our forms the way we do worship the way we pray we still need to embrace and reflect some of the good stuff that that folks from other nations bring us amen the church was multicultural. It was also intergenerational. And it was across genders. There wasn't a war between the generations. There wasn't division between genders. This is what happened. Acts 2, 17, 18. In the last day, Peter explains, this spirit coming in the, is, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. Lord, give us just such a diverse community. Okay, we need to crack on. Time's moving on. And we're going to bring the children back in because we're going to pray for the spirit to come upon this church across the generation. So we're going to bring the children a new thing. So I need to try and make sure I hit that. As I say, we should want this. What we've just seen there in that community, we should want this. Society needs this. A community like this will be attractive. It says 3,000 were added. Later on, it says 5,000 the church grew to. So how do we connect Acts 1 to 5, the spirit coming, with that community we read about in Acts 42 to 47? How do we make that link? How do we see the resources of heaven poured out? 
How do we avail ourselves of the more of the Holy Spirit? Well, how did Peter, here in Acts 2, understand what had happened? What was the connection he made? How did he encourage these people to respond to the Spirit being poured out? How should we respond? Well, let's have a look. Acts 2, 38 to 41. It says, Peter replied, he's just preached about Jesus, and people start saying, what do we do? What do we do in response? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, the promise of the Spirit, for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, what, what was follow-up like? 3,000, oh, chaos, chaos. Do it again, Lord. So firstly, there's a worldview change needed. There's a worldview change. Peter understood there was a need, and he uses the word repent. Repent. He tells these people, repent. These Jews, repent from all nations. Well, repentance wasn't a religious word. It's the word metanoia. It means to turn around. Leave old ways and old thinking. Have you lived out of old ways, old thinking, and then you just sense there's some stuff I need to shed here. I need to turn around. I need to repent. He goes on to say, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The word corrupt there, it means to be bent out of shape. Culture, society, without the spirit, without Christ, is bent out of shape. There are dead-end worldviews out there that will result in nothing. Isms, we call them. Materialism. The idea that actually all that exists is the physical and out of that, we also get materialism in the sense of a preoccupation with the stuff. Are you preoccupied with the stuff, with the career, with the finance, with the house? Well, those things are important, but they cannot be at the centre. Hedonism, narcissism, selfish living for pleasure. Again, our society lives out of that place where feelings, how I feel is all important. I'm going to shape my life on feelings, how I feel. What kind of nonsense is that? Does anyone know? Feelings go up and down, even with blokes who sometimes don't have feelings. <laughs> don't trust your feelings. Don't make life choices based on how you feel, for goodness sake. Make choices based on what's wise and good <laughs> and true. Hedonism, relativism, the idea of there's no absolutes. So whatever, whatever, as long as it doesn't do anyone harm. Well, there's an issue there, because how do you define harm? But whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever. Your truth, my truth, you be you. Nihilism. Actually, a lot of these, I think, kind of inevitably, follow some of those worldviews, you'll end up with nihilism. It's the idea, it comes from the word nothingness. Everything's meaningless. There's nothing. It's a very pessimistic 
overview. But I think we see almost a nihilistic society where many in our society are just going, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, so it doesn't matter how I live. Destructive. Is any of this resonating? Well, let's repent of all that. If there's any element of that in us, let's repent of it. Secondly, though, it has to be coupled with a willing commitment. We turn from something to something else. Throughout the Acts particularly, but elsewhere, it's clear that repentance goes to, with faith or belief. We repent and believe. We turn from something to something. Well, what do we turn to? Well, in this situation, you turn to what, Jesus, uh, what Peter has just said about Jesus. I want to explain the gospel to you. If you're visiting us, you're online, you may not truly know what, what is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Let me just quickly explain. Peter's explained it here in Acts 2. This is what you turn to believe. Firstly, you believe that Jesus lived miraculously. Verse 22, look. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He was the Lord of all creation. Therefore, he could change creation. He could bring about creative miracles. He could make the blind see. He could make the deaf hear. He could make storms cease. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Someone need that this morning? Healing. Again, again, read the book of Acts, everywhere, the miraculous, everywhere. It was, the, it was kind of the detonator that just blew people's mindsets up, that the, the church, Paul or Peter, would go somewhere, boom, kaboom. You know, one Anglican vicar said, you know, why is it that wherever Paul went, there was either a riot, you know, or revival of healing, and whenever I go and visit someone... I get tea and cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> he lived miraculously. Secondly, he died sacrificially. Carrying on to Anthony. This man was handed over to you, Jesus, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He's speaking here to Jews who effectively saying, look, you're accountable for this. You crucified Christ. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on a cross for us took our punishment on the cross, gave his life that we might live. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you on a cross? And do you understand what it means that he died for you on a cross? But he rose victoriously, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah! He burst death wide open. And then finally, now, where is he? He rules all powerfully. Verses 33, he's now exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And God is making the enemies of Jesus, Jesus' footstool. He's overcoming them. This is a Jesus worth putting your faith in. And I just want to ask today, do you know you've done that? Do you know you're trusting Christ? Do you believe he is this God who rules over all? He's burst and thrown off death. He can give you his spirit that you can live, be the best version of you. Honour him, glorify him. 
Live for him. Live generously. Have you really come to put your trust in him? If you do, verse 38, carrying on there, Anthony, thanks. You will receive forgiveness. All your sins washed away. Everything you've ever done washed away. Why? Because he's taken the punishment for it. And faith in him means we are cleaned of all that stuff. We're to live righteously. We're to keep dealing with our stuff. But it's all washed away. And as a sign of that, by the way, if you've believed that, make a public declaration of it. Be baptised. Be baptised. I want to say, if you're a Christian here in this place and you've not been baptised, let's baptise you. We're going to have baptisms coming up. Come and chat. Okay. Carrying on. You will receive... Verse 38, doing all this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what we've said is the Spirit is poured out, top of Acts 2, the Spirit's poured out through a process of repentance, belief, yielding to him, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there needs to be wholesale consecration, wholesale consecration, giving ourselves over to him, consecrating ourselves. This is what the New Testament believers did. As they yielded their lives totally to Jesus, opened every area up, they were filled. Is there any area of your life you're holding on to? Is there any room of the house, as it were, you won't let Jesus into and deal with stuff? I understand it's painful. I understand it takes time. But we've got tissues for your issues. <laughs> Heard that from an American preacher, just thought I'd throw that in there. Come on, let's deal with our stuff. Let's junk our junk. Come on, guys. Let me tell you, if you don't, God will. <laughs> How many have experienced that? Oh, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to deal with that one. That's just it's, it's me. That's just me. And God says, ah, yeah, but I've, I've got a spirit that can transform you. Was it John Newton said, you know, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. Anyone else say that in this place? Me and Ian Bruce at this moment are welling up because he's another big soppy so-and-so. I just know God's done stuff in me. Come on. That's my testimony. I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to walk around the palace. I'm just going to glorify Jesus, because he's done stuff in me. Thank you, Ian. One or two. Yeah, this is good. Seriously. It's Pentecost Sunday, for goodness sake. Come on, let's get in the groove. Come on. Yeah? No? No, okay, let's not. Too British, far too British. We're not going to do that. Come on, we need to get excited about this. He's changing us. If we let him in, he's going to change us. And he's going to change people out there. If we will give ourselves over to him. In all seriousness, it's not emotionalism. I understand that. It's not hype. But it, it should lead to emotions of joy and faith and optimism. Okay, moving on. Before we get silly. So you don't get Acts 2, 42, 47, that community, without Acts 2, 1 to 4, the coming of the Spirit. And it's important we embrace this. You see, it's interesting, John the Baptist, how he described Jesus' ministry, he didn't say he's going to come and teach and he's going to bring wisdom 
actually didn't even say about kind of healings and miracles, although I think that's in there. What he said was this. Here's a summary, John the Baptist's summary of Jesus' ministry. He will baptize you with fire. If that is John the Baptist's summary of Jesus' ministry, we should embrace it. We should be saying, God, I need your fire then. Whatever that fire is, I don't fully understand it. I need that fire. It's what the angels commanded. Look at Acts 1.8, this linchpin verse of the book of Acts. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And look at Acts, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5.18. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. If you just go back one, thanks, Anthony. But be filled with the Spirit. The tenses and what have you there say this. Firstly, it's corporate. You all, it's corporate. It's not individual. He's not writing to an individual. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. I want to see, he says, a Holy Spirit-filled community. That's us, corporately. Let me tell you, it is possible for us If we walk in sin, if we don't let go of sin, I'm not saying faults and failings, I'm saying if we are hard-hearted, resist God, for us to quench the Spirit such that we are not a corporately filled community. So all of us play our part here. The more of us consecrated, the more likely we are to be a filled community. It's corporate. It's a command. It's a command. I'm going to say something about that. And lastly, it's continual. It's a continual tense. Go on being filled. And we see this through the book of Acts. Acts 2, the disciples are filled with the Spirit. Acts 4, they're back in, you know, Peter and and John, I think it is, come out of prison. And they pray and they ask God, you know, stir up and act and all the rest of it. And it says the house shook and they were filled with the Spirit again. And it happens again later. And it keeps happening. We need to keep being filled with the Spirit. So let me ask you, friend, do you know, do we know we're filled with the Spirit? Or at the very least, if we don't know, are we trying to be filled with the Spirit? I love this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an old preacher, 50s and 60s, down in London. And he, he led this flagship church called Westminster Chapel. I used to work there. He led this flagship church called Westminster Chapel. The problem was this. He was wonderfully evangelical, believed the Bible, taught the Bible. All the evangelicals loved him, except he taught renewed filling of the Spirit. And they were like, we're not sure about that, Martin. Because they, many evangelicals teach, you are filled with the Spirit when you get saved. And that's it, you don't, you don't need to be filled with the Spirit. Now what he would teach is, You receive the Spirit. It's a down payment, a deposit, but we need to go on being filled. This is what he says. He was Welsh, you know, and Welsh oratory is brilliant. I won't won't tell him. I'd like to, but I won't. I'm not... So there is nothing, he says, I am convinced that so quenches the Spirit as the teaching which identifies the baptism of the Holy Ghost with regeneration, meaning conversion, when we become a Christian. It is said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is non-experimental, meaning non-experiential. You don't know it's happened. It just happens. He says it's it's experiential. Read the book of Acts. When they receive the Spirit, and you will be able to testify to this, some of you, you know you've had encounters with God where you've been filled with the Spirit, and stuff happened. 
You laughed, you cried, you were silent, you sobbed, God washed stuff away, you were filled with joy. Whatever, peace, whatever. I'm not saying it happens every time, but you know it has been experiential. That it happens to everyone at regeneration. So we say, please, is, let's just assess ourselves honestly. Is this what we say this morning? Is this what we are saying, you are saying this morning? So we say, ah, well, I am already baptized with the Spirit. It happened when I was born again at my conversion. There is nothing for me to seek. I have got it all. This is what he goes on to say. Got it all? Got it. You can just imagine him. If you've heard him preach, you just imagine. Got it all? Well, if you have got it all, I simply ask, in the name of God, why are you as you are? Does anyone own this? Got it all? I haven't got it all. I haven't got it all. It's what set me off when I first became a Christian down in Swansea, this praying for revival that they were doing everywhere. I just felt there's more. There's something I'm missing. I had great teaching, evangelical, reformed, conservative, evangelical teaching. Loved it. Solid, solid Bible teaching, except maybe this. I, I just read in the New Testament there was more. In the name of God, why are you as you are? If you have got it all, why are you so unlike the apostles? Why are you so unlike the New Testament Christians? Brothers and sisters here at Beck, if we have got it all, why are we not seeing what we read about in the book of Acts to the extent we should be? Come on. This is for every one of us to look at our lives. Don't just, please, don't just hear this and think, oh, Paul's off on one this morning. Seriously, this is for every one of us to assess. Firstly, have we repented? Are we walking before the Lord? Have we turned our back on that stuff? Whatever it is. Have we turned to Jesus? And do we want to consecrate ourselves to him such that, I think it's the last slide in it, Anthony, we can say, Lord, have your way. Whatever that looks like, Lord, have your way. Have your way in my circumstances, absolutely. May your will be done. May I yield. May I follow you. But particularly this morning, this is what I'm talking about this morning. But Lord, have your way among us in terms of the things of the Spirit. May we be open to your Holy Spirit and all he has for us when we gather, but also when we're alone, when we're communing with you, have your way. <clears throat> we're going to get the children back in. We're going to worship, and then we're going to bring the children in as we worship. But we're going to come back to this, because I want us this morning to consecrate ourselves as a church as best we can to say, Lord, have your way. So why don't we stay seated? If you have children, I think sunbeam parents need to go first. I think that's right. So if you've got pet children in sunbeam, if you want to go, and then, you know, just hang ten. If you've got children of an older age, well, I think it's older, let's just stay seated. And can I, can I just ask us, just before we come to worship, as parents go to collect children... Let me just ask some questions for us to reflect on. Liel and the band will lead us in a song.
is your attitude, is my attitude, if I'm honest, I think I've got it all. I'm talking about the things of the Spirit. I'm not talking about life in general. I don't, I don't need to seek anything else. I think I've got it all. I've got it at my conversion. Or is it, no, 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 no. I need more. 